welcome to episode 80 of Friends and Film, a podcast that latest main news and theatrical releases. On this episode, we'll cover Wonder Woman 2 details, Suicide Squad 2's director, D23 Madness, and more after you review Wolf of Pan the Apes. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes by searching Friends and Film. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again, Joba Man, ready for Winter's War to begin, Josh Draley. Well, it's like the middle of summer right now, and I think I wanted to stay like this for a little bit. But I do have a parka that I'm going to rock this summer, winter, which is going to work out great. You're not ready for Game of Thrones? <gasps> That's right. Today, we're taping we're on taping Sunday. We're taping Sunday. I was going to try to throw maybe people for a loop and be like, can you believe what happened in the premiere? And then oh. we could try to you know, fake it off a little bit. Like we already you know, saw it and like, we're discussing it, yes. but we're not doing that. No. You threw me off because I was thinking like War for the Planet of the Apes and it's winter there. And I was like, that's true. Well, maybe like multiple, multiple so meanings. Just went middle of the road. I'm sorry about <laughs> that. Everybody like, talk about my clothing options instead. But no, whatever. It's OK. I sound like a tool. OK. <laughs> but yeah, we are, as he said, and I said at the beginning, we're going to be reviewing War for the Planet of the Apes. In this episode, we will be getting into spoilers uh, eventually. So once we do, there'll be a timestamp in the description of this episode so you can skip ahead. But for now, we're going to give non-spoiler thoughts. Um, it's my week to start. And uh, I actually got the chance to do a very unique watching of this because I watched it as the entire trilogy back to back to back in theaters. There you go. Uh, it was my first time seeing Rise in theaters. I didn't see it in theaters the first time and saw that. And then it's supposed to be like broken up where it's like 40 minutes in between each movie waits. But the first movie ended and then like five minutes later, they started Rise or mm. They started Dawn. Yes. And it was in 3D that time. That was cool. Uh, got to see that again for the first time, like three years on the big screen. And then, but then I had to wait like an hour 15 <laughs> oh, because of the wait to get to the nine o'clock. Then they showed previews to watch Wolverine playing the apes. But thankfully it was well worth the wait. Uh, just an incredible trilogy. And just starting off hats off to Matt Reeves and Andy Serkis. I know Reeves was not the director on the first one, that was Rupert Wyatt, but what he has done with the last two films is remarkable, and I think this is just a beautiful closing chapter of this trilogy. Mm-hmm. It really, just watching it you know, as basically like a seven-hour movie kind of, with like, you know, couple-year jumps here and there, it, it works really, really well, and I thought, you know, maybe it wouldn't in some places, but it just like seamlessly transitions from one movie to the next, even though you're missing three years of character and, you know, the development of these apes, it doesn't feel like you missed that much, but also you're like, wow, they have changed so drastically since the last time I saw them. Reeves takes his directing just up a notch in this one from the epic battles he's able to put on screen. He makes it feel like a blockbuster, but it's also not, that's not all this movie is. It is filled with just smaller character moments with apes, with humans, uh, really emotional. And a lot of those smaller scenes where even though, you know, I'm a human, I am in no way rooting for the humans. I am completely on Caesar's side and ready for his vengeance to basically wipe out humanity. If his you know goal is met <laughs> ultimately, yeah. uh, which I think is just a remarkable way for how, great of a story this whole franchise has done uh circus he is incredible as caesar again mocap you really see him shine through i think even more now because caesar is more developed he is more human-like and just with his the way he talks uh especially you know he has his son that he had in 
Dawn is now grown up a little bit more and just their relationship was really great and you got to see him as like a dad for like the first time really and that was that was really really cool to see Woody Harrelson great addition great addition as the colonel uh he has a really interesting backstory and arc that plays throughout the entire film even though he's almost like a boogeyman at like the start where you're like who is this guy and then like but once you fully meet him he just continues to, to deliver and make you worried about Caesar, about uh, Maurice, about Rocket, about all the other apes because you just don't know what he's going to do. Uh, also, great addition to this film, Steve Zahn oh, as Bad yes. Ape. The first time he kind of gets introduced, I was like, oh, I don't know if this is like... Because he's introduced in this very clever way where you're not actually... You don't know it's an ape. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be some weird sub plot with humans and like Caesar learning that not all humans are bad probably but then like once bad ape is in there and like he just goes for it it works so well he has like he adds levity to the movie which was uh definitely needed at certain points because yeah. it is not a funny movie it's very dark very serious but the way he weaves himself into the story in these situations great moments especially one with binoculars uh <laughs> laughed both I've seen it I've seen it twice and laughed both times <laughs> Uh, one other thing, Michael Giacchino, uh, great composer. He did Rogue One, Spider-Man Homecoming last week. He did Star Trek movies, bunch of other stuff as well. A lot of Pixar stuff. This may be my favorite score he's done. I haven't, I haven't listened to all of his scores probably recently, but just the way it hits and moves throughout the film, it's just, it does a really great job of, making the silent portions where nobody's talking they're just journeying across the countryside it just makes it feel epic somehow and you're just like riding along with these guys and it, it it's a it's a great score uh just to listen to even without watching the film uh all in all this may be the best one of the series i'm not sure watching dawn for like the fifth time probably that one is still really tough to beat in my mind because of Koba and everything. Mm-hmm. But this is really close to there. And it's the best movie of the year. Five ticket stubs out of five. Yeah. Wow. I I totally agree. Like <clears throat> if you when I pop myself into theater to watch the origin story of Planet of the Apes back in 2010 with yeah. James Franco and John Lithgow, you know, in the titular roles i didn't know what to expect and it turned out to be a great movie and i'm like oh that's a really cool way for them to explain how the monkeys came about for planet of the apes the the obscure star trekian <laughs> movie from the 60s to yes. me at the time um and then matt reeves took that and he built out a trilogy that not only um is a an incredible origin story for those films, but also an, an amazing standalone uh, series that you know of the 21st century. It's just it's absolutely um, phenomenal. So yeah, uh, you you mentioned Andy Serkis playing Caesar third time through, uh, and the mocap has only gotten better and better. And this time, Circus bleeds into Caesar so well and his performance comes out like it's never had before and it's insane like watching him i mean he's dealing with 
a lot of pain in the movie. And it's not something that I don't, I don't think ever registered in the first two movies, but it was just clearly there. Everything that he had been through was, was on his sleeve. And I thought that was absolutely insane. Um, like you said, the character was built up more, he had developed and when, um, ultimately, you know, what sets him on this journey to war with the Colonel, you know, you, you just completely buy it and it's, but it's a monkey. And like, you know, I, I think that's like the craziest part of this whole thing. And Woody Harrelson as the Colonel, like you said, the boogeyman, the guy who kind of looms over the movie before he gets filled out. And I think really an incredible mm-hmm. way. Um, he gives, he's probably one of the most insane characters I've seen in a movie in a while, but done so that you can almost empathize with it. However, just so slightly, yes. you know, um, and the, the, the whole arching plot of this, um, you know, people losing their humanity in an effort to save it. And then the ultimate, you know, part of it is that the apes are now, you know, the most rational beings on the planet and the people are not, I think it was just an awesome contrast to have. Um, of course, I want to talk more about the mocap because it just blew me away. There were, if you're familiar with the scene with the gorilla Luca outside by the cherry blossom tree. Yeah. What yeah, in the world was that? He, it looked like a cot. It looked like a person in a gorilla suit, but the, the best darn gorilla suit you had ever seen. It's in, it's in clear daylight. There's snow everywhere. Um, and there was no attempt to hide these, to hide these creations. Mm-hmm. And you know, he he comes up to Novo, the little girl, um, played by e, Amira Miller. Yeah, yeah. And he just puts it puts a flower in her hair, and they just kind of there's a lingering moment with the cameras and the their expressions on their faces. And I was like, that was really cool. But about. 40 minutes, 30 minutes earlier, there was one with Maurice, the orangutan, mm-hmm. where they discover Nova. And it's a five-minute scene, I think, where he's just interacting with her, trying to get her to come out and show her that everything is okay. And the, the massive close-up yeah, on, his, crazy. on his eyes, or her eyes, because he's played by um, Karen Conival. Yeah. So um, I think, I don't know if Maurice is a boy or a girl, whatever the case is. But just watching... All of like you know the mm-hmm. the wonder come across or the like you know uh, the reassurance was uh, unbelievably uh, unbelievably cool, um, and then there's other parts of the story that you know are part of the trilogy and it's the uh, ideas that Koba's actions um, from the last movie carry over so well. I, I don't think you needed to even see Dawn to understand what would happen and you know how it still haunts Caesar and his arc is just so complete. Um, And the only thing I think I could nitpick about the movie is the Moses, the the Moses uh, ideology near the end was a little too heavy, you know, (laughs) him dying after or him dying just as he gets him to the promised land. And and there's, and there's a moment where one of like an older ape is being whipped by the humans yeah. and then Caesar steps in. It's like, 
this is yeah this is just like moses yeah, yeah. exactly uh so it was a little heavy-handed but you know it was cool because it was something that you could recognize and go aha with and that's mm-hmm. that's the great part of the stories um and then my my final thing here before i give this a five out of five of ticket stubs is just saying how great of a job michael searson did as the cinematographer the movie is immaculately shot and framed and uh, i i was stunned because I don't know how these guys got this movie, you know, shot and done because there's like 30 minutes of action probably when all said and done, maybe 40. Everything else is just in these little moments with apes, like, you know, discovering what it means to exist in like, you know, a society. Mm-hmm. And uh, they together, the, those pair did a phenomenal job. But yeah, like I said, five out of five, um, an amazing cap to probably one of the finest trilogies of the century. Oh yeah, for sure. So, uh, that I think let's move into spoilers. Yes. Even though I think you just spoiled a little bit of the ending, uh, with your Moses analogy there, but, Oh yeah. Uh, well, luckily it was near the end. Yes. So, <laughs> uh, hopefully you've already seen it at this point, but yeah, we're going to move on into spoilers and like you've already talked about a little bit, uh, it ends in a pretty emotional way with Caesar dying. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, going in, I was like, okay, I could see Caesar, you know, biting the, like biting it. I could see him like losing and moving on from the franchise. But once he made it out and escaped the avalanche, I was like, oh, he's golden. He's good. He's yeah. safe. Perfect. But the whole, I was, I, I didn't even, I wiped away the whole fact that he was shot with an arrow mm-hmm. and I, I didn't think about it. And then the fact that he journeyed all the way from California to wherever they are now, to their to their new safe haven, only to then die like immediately. I was like, man, yeah. Ryan like has his life. He's like, he's finally won the war. Everything's behind him. He's ready to move on with his life. He's, you know, encountered all of this loss throughout this movie. You know, his his oldest son Blue Eyes dies. His wife Cornelia dies, and then like his like other friend Gorilla Luca also dies. Like a lot of a lot of sad moments for Caesar, and then just to see it end with him also died. I was like, man, this is just real bummer mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. And uh, you know, but it, like as he was dying though, I thought it was like a really sweet moment yeah. too, because it was like, Oh, Maurice was his first friend. You know, once he got mm-hmm. dropped off at the, uh, the monkey, yeah, like the shelter, yeah, yeah. yeah, whatever that was. And I was like, Oh, they have their, they have their closure. Have their moment. Yep. And then he passes away. And then the camera, you know, pans up to the sun. And I was like, ah, oh. yeah, it was a killer. It was literally, but <laughs> right, yeah. um, can I talk about some of the the plot that they kind of added that made the movie a little bit more interesting? Yeah, I guess from the colonel's point of view, because like I said, Woody Harrelson is playing a deranged colonel, and uh-huh. you think he's just a a hard nosed military guy, but then you realize the simian flu, the disease that. Uh, James Franco created as the cure to Alzheimer's, but mutated into the human killing virus. But right. also it jumped to animals and made them smart. And that's how uh, Steve Zahn's character right. got smart. Which the, I, I really liked that twist because I was, I, I was wondering right when they opened the movie and um, Winter is the, 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 the silverback gorilla yes. uh, that has joined the group. And I was like, okay, I don't remember this character. I just watched the other two movies. I was like, so I know mm-hmm. he's not part of their tribe. So how does, how did this gorilla 
get so smart to and then you know to see it just double down on with bad a be like okay that makes a lot more sense where it's not just you know caesar and his band of apes that are smart it is you know all apes basically across the entire world which is i'd always wondered watching like the first movies like okay so is it just this small group Mm -hmm. or is this like a worldwide thing like what how how does this work and to to know that this happened i think is a really just very subtle but needed addition to the mythology absolutely yeah it explains how the planet how it becomes a planet of the apes uh which is which is sweet but then there's also the the second the third twist Mm -hmm. is that the virus mutates again to the people uh to the human population surviving today that takes away their you know cerebral brain function i guess is what uh the colonel is like super worried about and that's what leads into you know his his backstory that's Mm -hmm. really really well done right yeah yeah i like i like that addition as well because you know watching like the old movies okay so how does this happen because they kind of you know in those old movies they don't say like it's just an evolutionary thing like mm-hmm. they're trying to kind of explain how it happened but they don't ever really address it and then to know that this out happened even though these movies aren't like the original movies are not canon to this franchise this new franchise because then things get really really weird right. timeline wise but yeah i think this is a a great explanation for why you know why Nova doesn't speak? Why we mm-hmm. see those other soldiers, uh, you know, shot by their own army mates? And I really, li- I didn't catch this the first time I watched it. It took me the second viewing to notice it, but because it, it bugged me that at the near the end of the movie, right during the big, you know, final battle where the other, you know, section of the, like the U.S. Army comes to take over, you know, to eliminate the colonel's like rogue infantry, basically. Yeah. They come to take him out, and then he's nowhere to be found in the battle because he has lost his brain function as well, and he mm-hmm. can't speak. And so he wants to like kill himself, drink himself to death. And I was like, that's just so like coincidental that I didn't like it the first time. But on the second viewing, I noticed that it was because he got the doll from Nova, and that it was uh, passed through the because he touched that gene. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, that yes. that is that is very very smart. Mm-hmm. Because I wondered that too, and then like they they do make like a deliberate point to like sh- like sh- see, show you Caesar noticing the doll and him yeah. going aha right. It, I had that I'd, yeah. It didn't take me to that second viewing where I was like oh, I got it. But now. I do want to say because Woody Harrelson ends up committing suicide. Yes, because he's I mean he becomes so fanatical about wanting to destroy the apes mm-hmm. um and so you know abhorrent or you're not abhorrent but so disgusted by the simian flu that when it mutates it actually gets his son and his mm-hmm. son loses his ability to speak and um i guess you know higher brain functions and woody harrelson so fearing the simian flu shoots him and yep. himself and so that you know drives his fear of it and he ultimately ends up committing suicide because it starts to happen to him and just that that moment of him trying to drink himself to the point where he could pull the trigger mm-hmm. and then have Caesar almost do it for him 
but then ultimately decide not to. Like I was, I was covering my eyes. Like that was right. a moment of pure drama mm-hmm. that I, I, it is objectively ridiculous, but somehow yeah, it works, it works really so, well. So well. Yeah. Cause like, I was like, okay, like is Caesar going? Cause like the whole reason he doesn't leave with us the apes is he, Maurice says to him early in the film, you're too much like Koba. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and then he realizes in that moment when they're trying to escape that he can't let his, you know, his revenge go. And he's like, it's going to consume me. I have to stay here and make sure this is ended. And then to see him go and have the opportunity to do that, but only to realize this isn't me. This is not who I was before this whole war began. And like, he starts the movie saying, I didn't want this war. I didn't start it. The ape who did is now dead but I'll finish it if I have to. And to see him then realize it's, it's over anyways. Yeah. So me killing him isn't going to, isn't going to save anything. Right. And then for Woody Harrelson, who has hated Caesar this whole time to have the gun in his hand mm-hmm. and he still has some brain function because he wants to kill himself, but to not turn the gun on Caesar and instead just kill himself instead. I thought that was a really, you know, great added layer to their relationship yeah it was the complete like you know in the trilogy it's the final flip of the script yeah you know caesar has been on the end of abuse and all sorts of terrible treatment and now finally when he's the higher being he grants mercy you know Mm -hmm. or allows you know the the lower the subhuman, if you will, part right. of his brain, the, the 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 less rational part of him, vengeance. To, he lets that go, mm-hmm. and you know that was like a really cool twist that I yeah. thought, or like you know, flip of the script, if you will, which was awesome. Yeah, I also really liked the whole like almost. You, I mean, you won't get the reference, but Mission Impossible esque breakout scene between the apes, where they had to like figure out, okay, walk these amount of steps to get to this cage, walk these amount of mm-hmm. steps to this cage dig the holes, climb the high wire yeah. and escape. I thought that was a, I thought that was fun. Even though like <laughs> I was watching it with one friend the second time and he's like, so like, you know, Nova could just like stroll in, feed mm-hmm. Caesar. Nobody's going to notice all these apes just going to like escape. Nobody's noticing. I'm like, well, they show like they're on parole. Yeah. So like, or they're patrolling the area. So like that, that does like, it makes sense. Yeah. In my I mean, mind, I guess. there's, there's also something that I also noticed that, people will say in the theater where or one that my my family will mention like when watching movies is pitch black in a movie does not look good you can't unless you're david lynch trying to pull something off from twin peaks like you have to have like a blue Mm -hmm. night yeah or else the scene doesn't work so the spotlights are the only way people can see it's kind of like a you know um it's a movie vocabulary thing that you have to kind of get in your head so you know you can only see so much people like Give it a break. Right. I also think this movie deserves a lot of credit for successfully pulling off not once, uh, but twice, a poop throwing joke. <laughs> yes. I did not expect it. It happened. <laughs> I was happy when it did because it was a great reaction and moment from that mm-hmm. one soldier. And I was like, you know, this movie has been very, very serious, but the fact that they, you know, added in the element of poop yeah. throwing from apes. Right. I thought it was great. Yeah, it was the missing thing, you know. You're like, you're finally like, oh, these are, you you forget these people, the you forget their monkeys, right. and like you forget that you know that exists. <laughs> and then when it happens, the guy is like beside himself too uh-huh. because he's like, wait, 
they shouldn't be doing that right. type of a deal. Like it wasn't like he was expecting it from him. And you know, back to that breakout scene, uh, Steve Zahn's bad ape, which I love that. That's what he thinks his name is. I know because you know, I mean, people are bad he, ape. Yeah. Bad ape. You know, and he, he know he knows how to speak. He's one of the two or three monkeys that know how to do it because mm-hmm. he's been around people for so long. Like, uh, I just love that. But him, uh, he, uh, he's, uh, he, finally saves the day because he pulls that guy underground um, that he, they throw poop at. Uh-huh. And they're all like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And he like yeah. tries to pull, pull his head out to shake their hands. And he that finally, was a great moment. Yeah, yeah. He just so many workable situational comedy moments that don't feel out of place. They just feel part of the character. And yeah. I, I love that. And I love that he was like the one ape wearing clothes. <laughs> yes. Like when he like walks out of the ski resort and is like, he has his little, like uh, his hat on and then vest. he has his vest and you're like, yeah. Okay. So like they're kind of already laying those seeds for like, if the, if this franchise continues on, mm-hmm. if the apes start wearing clothes, it's not like, why do, why would these apes all of a sudden just start wearing clothes? Like yeah. it doesn't make any sense. But right. then like he wears it. So maybe like mm-hmm. other ones will see it and then they'll start <laughs> doing it. I was like, that's just very like subtle, you know, possible Easter egg, I guess, or hint towards, you know, the future events of this franchise. But yeah. And it's just a funny comedic moment. Oh, the, the he, rest of the, they're all ready to go. And then he comes walking on, just like gives him a thumbs up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, he, wa- he walks out. My entire theater lost it. Yeah. And then, and then everyone quiets down. And then he like pulls the thumb up mm-hmm. and then everyone just loses it again. Yeah. It, <laughs> so, is, it, was, it was great. So well done. Um, I only have one more thing. Okay. And uh, this is, this is sort of me just editorializing. Uh, but I think this movie, this trilogy does a way better job of district nining than district nine itself does in what way and and if so if you a lot of people look at district nine as um race and apartheid mm-hmm. and things like that but i think this movie does a really good job too um, it does. and if you look at apes being some kind of different race mm-hmm. and them being a subclass that eventually finds its way to you know equi- equalize themselves yeah and the other people aren't about it and they're looking for ways and then you get into ethnic conflicts mm-hmm. and all sorts of things of course i'm doing geopolitics right now and it just reminds me of everything from africa right <laughs> so but phenomenal yeah i do think they're a little different because like district nine the alien species is never really treated as equals they're always true outsiders and in that movie it's about Charlotte Copley's journey from being human and being transformed into one of these aliens, mm-hmm. I, that makes it so interesting to me yeah. to then see him go from somebody who like wants them off his world to then becoming one of them in the end of it. So I just spoiled District 9, so if you've seen it. but Oh, it's been it's, it's great. six years. Go on. see it. So uh, the only other question I have for this movie is they leave it open-ended but also closed on Caesar's chapter would you want to see this franchise continue on? And if so, under what circumstances? You know, I think, I think I'm good. Yeah. Anything else is just squeezing money out of mm-hmm. a movie that's going to make pro- well, probably 500 million worldwide. Safe yeah. bet. It's, uh, it's projected to make like 56 million domestically mm-hmm. this first weekend and like another 50-ish uh, internationally. So it's, you know, $100 million opening weekend worldwide pretty good for this movie uh for me 
I only want to see it continue if Matt Reeves and Andy Serkis are both involved. Yeah. So uh, some kind of executive producers to shepherd it, you know, or uh, for Matt Reeves. Yeah, I could I could see him being a very involved EP or maybe even getting writing credit. I, if, if he doesn't have time to direct it because he's doing Batman and other properties, I if I could see them try. They could probably find another suitable director to fill his shoes. But I definitely want him involved. And uh, if you watch the original like five movies from the Planet of the Apes trilogy, or not trilogy, the franchise, uh, it's uh, Randy um, McDowell, I think is his name. Okay. Uh, who plays Cornelius to start. And then once Cornelius and uh, Zira have their son, Caesar, once they like push the franchise forward, then he continues to play Caesar. So Hmm. I would love to see if this continues on if, and it is Cornelius's story moving forward. And it's like a reverse of the original franchise. I would love to see circus continue to play a part in the franchise, but as Cornelius instead of, uh, you know, obviously Caesar. Yeah, yeah, I don't know where they would take it next because the next logical step is, you know, you bring people down from yeah, you, space. You but kind of retell the first, the original movie. But you got to build out centuries of ape political and, you know, all that stuff. So right. it would be... I think they could do it. Like if they flash forward like oh. 20-ish years, Cornelius has grown up. Yeah. And he's kind of, he's like, he's, he's, he's ready to be the leader Maybe he's still kind of learning, but then the spaceship they teased that launched in uh, mm-hmm. Rise comes down. Curious. Somebody walks out or multiple people walk out, and then it's kind of a retelling of the first Pan of the Apes, but it's definitely more uh, – it's less of a mystery of is this Earth or is it not? Right. You, so, lose, you lose a lot. Right. So who knows? I don't – Matt Reeves has said he doesn't think this will be the end, but – if it is, I will be I'll be okay. And if it's not, then I'll also be okay. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so that's all we got for War of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, we will be back in a bit with the news. And we're back with the news. And our first bit of info is about the Scarface reboot. The Hollywood Reporter revealed this week that David Ayer is the latest director to leave the reboot uh, over at, I believe it's Universal. Uh, their, their report pointed to scheduling conflicts, uh, but also that his script was, quote, too dark for Scarface. Ooh. I mean, okay. You know, it's dealing with Mexico this time around. Yeah. Like, so Diego Luna is supposedly going to play an immigrant from there. And uh, I mean, it, if you read cartel stuff, it's brutal and, and it's mm-hmm. dark. Um, I mean, it makes Sicario look like you know whitewashing or not whitewashing, <laughs> but uh, you know painting painting over yes. you know like uh, in a glittering fashion. So it doesn't surprise me, but that he's ditched because. But also, David Ayer's got so much on his plate right now, right? Yeah, I mean, he like some reports were like, oh, it's because of his schedule with Bright for Netflix and he can't you know, do it, but they and they only have a certain amount of time to fit it into Diego Luna's schedule, so they have to, it's like, okay, we're either going to lose Diego or we lose David. Mm-hmm. See you, David. But, yeah, the, the idea that this is too dark is just bizarre because, yeah, this is supposed to be like 
a gangster movie, right? So, are I mean, do they want a PG thirteen gangster movie? Like that seems dumb. And if it's if they know they're gonna go R, how can it be too dark? Yeah, you can push the envelope as basically as far as you want in R and get away with it. Uh, we don't need another Breaking Bad. We don't need another Narcos. We need something. We don't need another Sicario or. Right. We need something. If you're going to do something, don't make it an aspirational drug movie. Right. I mean, get get your get your script and facts in order. Yeah. Uh, I mean, David Ayer has only put out, I guess, two, three good movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's Suicide Squad, so that's its own thing. Right. But um, he's not he's not going to do a end of watch for you about one of the darker sides of you know. Right. But like, if you like, if you look at like end of watch or uh fury both of those really really explore like the ideas and the situations that 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 movie presents itself with whether it's you know police investigations and stuff or it's war if to see him tackle you know mexican gangs in that aspect i think would have been really interesting so i don't i don't know how it can be too dark i want it to be a dark gut punch of a movie i don't want it to be like oh yeah you know gangsters are fine gangsters are cool let's yeah. you know like pop like like it doesn't make any sense if you're gonna do scarface you need to i mean do scarface right because it's a property that many people don't think needs to be retold in any mm-hmm. new ways uh but if you're gonna tell this you know entrepreneurial dark story I mean, do it right because the original Scarface was twisted and you know a lot of people were just like crazy mm-hmm. so if David Ayer if you're going to get David Ayer an innovative and great writer and director let the guy do what he's yeah. going to do yikes but you know who knows maybe this means uh, Gotham City Sirens will move along quicker because it's been a while since for anything on like that so uh, who knows? Speaking of the DCEU, uh, Screen Rant broke some news about Wonder Woman 2 this week uh, that it is currently being planned to take place in the 1980s, sending mm. Diana against the forces of the Soviet Union in the closing days of the Cold War. And if that was not enough detail for you, apparently the current concept also involves bringing Chris Pine back in some capacity. Uh? So let's break this down in two different sections. So 1980s, Cold War, World War, or Wonder Woman 2. Does that sound cool? Oh, absolutely. I think that was my pitch I think a so. while ago. I think maybe I put us in the 60s, right. you know, around Cuban Missile Crisis, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, someone kind of atomic blonde salt with Gal Gadot. But uh, yes, absolutely. What do you think? Yeah, I think that sounds cool. It. I still am not sure whether or not I want to see another period piece or a, you know, have her just leap forward into the present day because how much backstory can you continue to give her unless this is the event that explains why she is separated from humanity by the time of BVS because Mm -hmm. they didn't really explain that in Wonder Woman. So I guess the Cold War would, would do that. The only thing that maybe worries me is that they're doing another, you know, centering around a war. Don't bring back Aries because that that would just feel weird. And then if going on to the other bit of news, if they bring Chris Pine back, but he's not, you know, maybe he's Steve Trevor Junior. Junior or something like. I just feel like a retelling of (laughs) Wonder Woman, and I don't, I don't know. I don't. That is the piece that worries me 
not maybe not doesn't worry me because I trust Patty Jenkins on mm-hmm. she's gonna direct the movie even though she hasn't signed on officially yet. But I I don't know I don't I don't know how you do that and still make it work along with the first movie. Yeah. Well. Well. Yeah. Chris Pine is weird. Like maybe there's some part that we missed. I don't want that from though. the old movie that they want to bring back, and that's why he's technically, you know, a part of it. I but I can't see anybody, you know, surviving that big of an explosion, right? And then still being able to be uh, an important part of a movie that's taking place forty years later. Exactly. So you either fake out his death and make him in his seventies, or which would kind of be funny to watch maybe. Chris Pratt and. Or you like, bring him back as like, you know, you do flashbacks of him. But again, how much of that relationship, they only knew each other for the duration of the Wonder Woman movie. Mm-hmm. So what portions of their relationship did we not see? Other than like whatever they did in that hotel room, we didn't see that. Right. But or th- other than that, like we pretty much saw everything they did together. Yeah. I mean, unless we missed some kind of important traveling conversations right. or whatever the case is. Uh, yeah, that's the most baffling part, but everything else, you know, is very self-explanatory and fits in mm-hmm. with what I'd want. Cause I think during our review, I said, I would love to have three Wonder Woman movies that were separate from the DC EU. Mm-hmm. That, if, if that, you know, that ship, the Titanic misses the iceberg. Great. But if it's sinking, you know, I kind of want to, <laughs> I want to have Wonder Woman, you know, women and children first type of right, deal right, right. <laughs> where they make it off totally unscathed because uh, like, you know, those are the movies that I want to be able to feel good about. So yeah. And I mean, espionage, I'm not worried about the war aspect because it, it's going to go like a more spy route. Right. Cause I think that, I think that's the coolest way to go. But yeah. Uh, we loved Chris Pine, yes. but we didn't love him enough that you need to you know, ruin movie continuity for Exactly. It. Yeah, I loved him enough where I didn't want him to die. Mm-hmm. So if they do bring him back in some weird fashion where, like, you know, the some other, you know, Greek god raises him from the dead and then he's still technically Steve Trevor or something, like... I don't want to see that or have like the villain possess yeah. his body and just have it be like, Oh, this whole messed up thing for Diana to deal with. That doesn't seem that interesting to me. Uh, and to see, yeah, to see him like play his like grandson <laughs> and then also have a, like, I mean, it would ha- it would definitely be a romantic relationship. There's no way to get around it that yeah, if he's involved, that they're going to play with that dynamic again. And that would just be so weird to have, mm-hmm. Wonder Woman would be like, oh, yeah, you know, I loved your grandpa, but okay, yeah, you look the same, so why not? I'll, I'll love you, too. Like, it'd be well, like... It's, it's the Captain America situation, too, though, a bit, isn't it? But it, Haley Atwell's not playing Agent 13. Yeah, okay. I could see where that could get weird. That's, that's for where, sure. That's where, like, I get that comparison. That was where my head went, too, but then I was like, yeah, it's not... They don't look exactly the same, mm-hmm. and as they showed in civil war, he didn't even know that Sharon Carter was a Carter until the funeral. Like he had no idea they were even related to each other. So there's no like weird (laughs) conflict of interest, I guess. Yeah. Or projecting, I guess, perhaps. So who, who knows? I mean, this is not, this is not confirmed by WB. So this could turn out to be false or they could turn out to maybe see the response to this and be like, you know what? Let's, let's not do this. We'd love to have Chris Pine back, but 
it just doesn't it doesn't seem like it'd be the best way to move forward with the sequel mm-hmm. and speaking of the best way to move forward with a movie in the dceu matt reeves apparently believes that the best way to move forward with the batman is uh without ben affleck's script uh he is going to as he told the happy sad confused podcast he is throwing out ben affleck's script for the batman to craft his own new story so we just saw wolf of the planet of the apes we both loved it i mean i'm okay with this yeah i think it's the best thing for the film actually uh what I mean, what do you what do you see going forward for that oh boy uh i don't know i there are a lot of interesting moments in wolf of pain where i was thinking of i could see him pulling this element into batman a little bit mm-hmm. where caesar's very much a loner in that movie and pushing his loved ones away that's exactly who batman is uh i think personally i've come around to the idea of i think reeves would do a great red hood movie i'm still weary of all the backstory that comes attached to that character because we have not seen any of that on screen before so having to tell all of that backstory plus introduce red hood plus do the whole reveal plus maybe reconcile it in some way is a lot for a two hour 15 minute movie so that worries me a little bit but i mean he has said that he had a lot of creative freedom on the planet of the apes movies mm-hmm. and it worked out really freaking well for Fox. So if I'm WB and Ben Affleck or whoever, I'm saying, yeah, you know, you do your thing and we will find a way to make it work in the larger universe uh, if needed, if if that has to happen. And allegedly, isn't that why he played hardball Mm -hmm. with WB? I mean, because we had that that three-week back and forth where it could be Reeves. It's going to be him. It's Reeves. (laughs) He's not. He's done. And, you know, and then he came back on. Yeah. So... If that was what he was after, pay and you know control, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the guy, the guy shepherded um, a franchise that I don't think anybody really cared about mm-hmm. uh, into a blockbuster must-see movie, and now he's going to take a blockbuster must-see movie and add an impec- um, what I'm sure will be an impeccable story to right. it, right? Because the guy's also a fantastic writer, so you know. Yeah, let him do whatever he wants. I mean, you know, the last movie sounded like a massive villain punchathon. So, mm-hmm. if he's if he's able to take a story of loss, reconciliation, he said he wants to do like a, a detective movie as well, which yeah. I think again could go into the Red Hood stuff, where mm-hmm. it's you know maybe I think my pitch or what I was thinking of as I was watching this was basically. Red Hood is almost Woody Harrelson's character in Wolf of the Apes, and then all of the other apes would be like Nightwing and Batgirl. So Red Hood like kidnaps yes. both of them because he is the former Robin. He doesn't like seeing all these other Batman proteges out there. Kidnaps them, locks them away, hires, you know, maybe we keep Joe Manganiello in. He's one of like the sub bad guys that Red Hood like brings on to keep Batman distracted mm-hmm. a little bit. And then Batman is piecing together, okay, who is this guy? We see the flashbacks of Jason Todd. And then he's like, oh, this kind of seems like a Jason signature. Like that. that's his fighting style, but that's impossible because he's dead and he's all confused. And then it's the big reveal, oh, it is Jason. A lot of, again, a lot of, that's a lot to fit into, you know, two hours. Yeah. But I have a lot of faith in Matt Reese at this point. Yeah, there would have to be a really good way to get Jason's death. Mm-hmm. into the movie without spoiling the Red Hood reveal. Right. But as soon as you 
tease the red hood in a film people know what's up people who yeah who know the who know the history and everything well yeah but yeah. you know if my dad goes to see this movie and it's red hood he's not going to know that oh the the villain is Jason Todd okay cool mm-hmm. I'll see this coming a mile away like yeah. He's not gonna know that, so I want to. I want. Have, I want them to do it in a way where you can still keep the twist intact. Have the movie turn on the reveal of Jason Todd, yeah. versus Batman. Mm-hmm. So one forty-five in, you learn, then you can do some past, you know, because we've already seen the. We've already seen a suit in the, the Batcave. Yeah, yep. so there's those seeds are planted, and I think it's ripe for the taking. But whatever Reeves has got, you know, in his mind, um, I. I've, I have no qualms about the movie going forward. Right. Even though I think we spent weeks on that. Yeah, a good, <laughs> a good two and a half months freaking out about it. <laughs> it seems like it's in pretty good hands now, yeah, thankfully. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Even though that is my pitch or what I think I he could it. do a good job with, whatever he decides to do, I'll be on board for mm-hmm. at this point. So. Yeah. Uh, the other bit of a news we got for the DCEU is about Suicide Squad 2 with Deadline reporting and kind of following up a previous rumor that Wam Collette Sarah is the frontrunner to direct, to direct the sequel. The Hollywood Reporter went on to reveal that uh, WB is hoping to have filming start in mid-2018. Then this is also following what they said was uh, WB hoped to have this movie start filming like this year. But because of script issues and them just receiving a brand new treatment that is going to require them to completely rewrite the script, hmm. that is why production's been delayed till like you know a year from now. Snap. So, you know, do you want to see Wamclet Sarah's you know Suicide Squad two? And you know, does any of that other you know behind the scenes stuff worry you at all? You know what? That the script is getting workshopped over and over and over again. And it's going to come out a quality product. I think Womclet Sarah will take it and do just fine with it. Uh, because his movies, I, th- I mean, I associate him with Liam Neeson a ton. I mean, he's got Unknown, Nonstop, and I think A Walk Among the Tombs like are like three. And they're all sort of the same style, right. um, like this greenish blue tint, you know, follows every shot. And that's kind of what Suicide Squad had with it. Mm-hmm. And so I he... And he fits that mold perfectly, but the story just are never really there. I mean, Liam Neeson's unknown is kind of fun. It's a little bit of a thriller action movie, but um, he will be as good as the script is. Yeah, I think. But he, there's, I have no doubt that he can helm a movie of this caliber. You know, easily. Mm -hmm. So, that's what I think it's all going to be about. Yeah, for me, the thing that. Because I think we I think we talked about Womclet Sarah possibly doing this a while ago, and I don't remember if I was really enthusiastic about it or just kind of in the middle. I think I'm more on board for it now because just kind of thinking of you know his past work nonstop. Uh, he did the Shallows last year as well. Oh, that's so, right. And based on what you're saying, I do agree that like I think his the concept of his movies are always very interesting and strong, but then the script and the execution maybe not as much. So. If he if he continues to do these small you know one setting type movies, then I think we could get like a you know a prison breakout riot type Suicide Squad two movie where instead <sighs> of you know them having like um, you know in like the first movie where they have to do the intro breakout uh, go to the city breakout Waller fight Enchantress mm-hmm. it's just the movie starts Amanda Waller gives the order. Rick Flag, all of Task Force X, 
they go on their mission and then they're in one location whole movie it's some sort of like you know whether it's just uh you know just a stealth mission or you know uh straight up spy movie that's what interests me more because i think he can do he can establish that setting really well and then just let the characters be themselves and really make them the centerpiece of the story yeah. outside of oh man you know can't wait for enchanters to show up like <laughs> in the shallows like one of the the best parts of that movie were you know there's a lot of moments where it's just Blake Lively laying on a rock you know screaming in pain <laughs> but then there's also great moments where it's a sh- where she's go- she has a shark attacker and the the con- the just the comparison of those two scenes and the, the difference in them is great and so if he can apply that kind of stuff to Suicide Squad too then I think we uh, could be in good hands okay yeah I hear you so uh, that's all the DC news we got this week. And as we move into our D23 recap, we got some news about the MCU beforehand with that hashtag show revealing a casting call for Ant-Man and the Wasp, revealing a, uh, a role for a 55 to 65-year-old African-American male whom they believe will be Bill Foster, a.k.a. Goliath. Ooh, is he huge? Yeah, I mean, eventually. I mean, he's not like like Ant Man huge, like or Giant Giant Man, Man huge. Yes. yes. So like in the comics, he is like the original Giant Man, but he uh, goes by Goliath. Okay. So he's like he's Hank Pym's like protege, kind of in the comics. Like a you know he kind of like intern in a sense, and then they become best friends. His really long comic history, you know, has a big role to play in the Civil War comic initially, and I think I think that's cool to see him bring in bring in like Hank Pym's old buddy for sure. Uh, maybe add some layers to his old days as Ant-Man. Get to see Michael Douglas with some older Hollywood icon, possibly who knows Morgan Freeman doesn't have a role yet in no MCU or does it need to be Sam Jackson? No, Sam Jackson's, Sam Jackson's already yeah, in there. Shoot. Uh, uh, Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers. Is he the right age? Choice. I don't know if he is. I think so. The options I thought, I mean, Denzel, obviously, first oh. one, you're like, yeah, yeah. he's the, I think he's the right age. Mm-hmm. He's also an incredible actor, and him and Michael Douglas together I think would be cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, other one, Ernie Hudson, oh, I think would yes. be a really fun pairing, and to see him possibly you know, get to explore being Goliath again, I think that would be funny. Uh, others kind of random ones, suggestions I had. Danny Glover, I think he would be an uh, interesting yes. choice. Wesley Snipes, if he wants to get back in a Marvel role, he could be a really snarky uh, Bill Foster and (laughs) really play really well with the angry and bitter Hank Pym we know in the MCU. Okay. The other one, if they're going to go more comedy, bring Eddie Murphy back into the public eye. Oh, why not? Yeah. With a more, more, you know, toned down, Mm -hmm. serious type. Yeah, I haven't seen Eddie Murphy since The Heist. Was that his last movie? He was in... um, uh, Mr. Church or something last year. I didn't see it. Okay. But sure. I remember him seeing like he was doing press for it and he said in the press tour that he would be inter- interested in doing a superhero role if it was more comedy, uh, if there were some comedy aspects to it, but also some actual character stuff as well. So who knows? I got the I got the Samsung Danny Glover commercial stuck in my head now. <laughs> I just think he would be perfect for it. I mean, yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, Marvel loves to go after these big guys, and I think if he's gonna have a lot of screen time with Michael Douglas, mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta match it. So yeah. 
you know, Denzel, sure. Danny, uh, Ernie Hudson, whoever. Yeah, make it I work think, for I a think while. it'll be a very big casting whenever it is announced who this is awesome. uh, going to be. But that was not announced at D23. What was one of the uh, first parts of the live action panel, and the only footage that was shown there that came online was the first trailer uh, for A Wrinkle in Time. Hmm. Ava DuVernay's next movie comes out next March. I think it's March 9th. Uh, what'd you think of this one? Uh, well, I'll have to say this. The book dropped out in the sixties and I read it, you know, as a kid and I didn't understand anything that was going on in it okay. really at all. It all went over my head. This trailer went way over my head, <laughs> but it looked beautiful. There's Chris Pine. There's Oprah Winfrey. There's, I'm uh, missing two other people. Uh, Reese Witherspoon, yes. Mindy Kaling, mm-hmm. uh, Zach Galifianakis, Absolutely. Michael Pena, Andre Holland. It, and then plus the the younger group of three kids yes. whose names I don't know but it looks absolutely fantastic uh magical even like it, uh, it looks like the big friendly giant only with a subject matter I actually can get my you know it can get into right that's actually maybe you know a great movie instead of just like oh okay Good job, Spielberg. That yeah, was, that absolutely. Was you know, it was like a pat on the back for the guy. Right. Which I feel bad about saying because none of his <laughs> movies were. Anyway, yeah, th- this just looks fun. Like, yes. it looks like pure imaginative joy. Am I, am I, am I overselling this? No, or I think it uh, has a great use of the song Sweet Dreams. It does. Uh, plays really well in that trailer. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's also a shot of uh, um, uh, Gugu and Batha Ra. She's in there as well, so really great cast. And, of course, you have Ava DuVernay, director of Soma, helming this one up. And, yeah, I think it's uh, it looks like a magical fantasy epic time at the movie theaters. It's going to come out early next year, probably going to be a contender for, you know, best film of the year, you know, the first three or four months probably. Uh, but, yeah, I think it, I was sold. I didn't know really anything about the movie uh, before this trailer dropped. But you know the fact that, like Oprah and Reese Witherspoon and Minnie Kaling are playing like these like these like witches god things. I don't know how to describe them necessarily, but yeah, they look ultra powerful. Like, Oprah's like flying in the air and has her <laughs> crazy hair. Uh, it look it just looks super you know fun and unique and a just like a fun time of the movies. Yeah, I, I mean I think there's I think they're supposed to be like time lords if you will if okay, you're familiar yeah. with like the doctor who concept of Kinda. yeah it's sort of like somewhere along there but okay. yeah if i had to describe langle's book uh i don't know if i, I think it would confuse you more gotcha and it would probably just ruin the movie yeah but it's it's a good i need to read it again actually but yeah. yeah it looks great yeah so we also uh, as part of the d23 experience they had a whole breakdown on all of their upcoming animated features and one of the uh, casting additions we got coming out of this was Taraji P. Henson has joined Wreck-It Ralph 2 as a pop-up spam character named Yes <laughs> with three S's. So I love Taraji P. Henson. She's incredible. Yes. The fact that she's going to be playing kind of like what I assume to be some snarky internet all-knowing pop-up ad mm-hmm. with blue hair in Wreck-It Ralph 2. I think that sounds great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, with the spam too, like there's this, at least I get a connotation of like earnestness or, you know, like energy. Uh-huh. And if but she's- also like annoyance. And, yes, yeah. absolutely. Like I think that's, I think that's just going to be perfect. Like, you know, with her. Um, yeah. I, I'm just, it's Wreck-It Ralph 2. Yeah, it's going to be great. And we also got uh, news from that movie that it's going to feature a scene of 
all the Disney princesses together uh, with all the original voice actors uh, being <gasps> there and stuff, which is cool. There's a big group selfie they took together with Josh Gad uh, oh. at D23. How Plus, cool. there's also going to be uh, Star Wars and Marvel references uh, because they're on the internet and it's Disney and yeah. Disney owns everything. So why not? <laughs> just the, the potential for this movie, like that is so cool. Yes. Like, you know, it's going to be like a, it's going to be so meta of Disney to have that play out. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's going to be really cool to see what happens when you get all those characters together in one place mm-hmm. or whatever the case is. Like the internet is infinite possibilities and the jokes are going to be endless. Yeah. I'm sure. So we also got word about Incredibles 2 finally. Uh, Disney stated mm-hmm. that the sequel mm-hmm. is going to focus on Elastigirl this time around. She's going to be the main character while uh, John Lasseter told IGN that the movie will pick up directly after the original. So no but 12-year time jump or whatever long it's been since the first Incredibles. Uh, it's going to start right after the Underminer attack. So I love that we're going to give Holly Hunter's Elastigirl more to do. Yes. Uh, she was she was a big part of the first movie, but mm-hmm. it was definitely Mr. Incredible's story. And <laughs> I am a little disappointed that they're not doing the time jump because I would have liked to see, you know, Jack-Jack a little grown up and embracing all of his crazy powers. Yeah. Instead of just being kind of like a random, all right, we need a comedy moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, he can do this now. Uh, do that kind of stuff with him instead and you know, see Flash a little grown up, Violet grown up, Mr. Incredible even older. <laughs> I think yeah. could have played with a lot of interesting stuff there, but I think that's, I think this all sounds good. And like the, they showed like some concept art and there's like a, a, a ton of more superheroes now. Like there's like 25, I think yeah. they said in the lineup. So they are, this universe is no longer devoid of superheroes with the Incredibles back. Everybody else is coming out of the shadows, I guess. Yeah. So, just don't wear capes, and uh, it'll be it'll be <laughs> yes. good. No, no capes. Cannot forget that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like th- I think that's a great idea. Um, Holly Hunter is a phenomenal actress, and you know, not that Bob's midlife crisis didn't make for an interesting Incredibles movie. It was but, great. You know, uh, the implications that it's all about Elastigirl um, is going to be cool. Like I don't know what maybe like working working mother right. type deal. You know, superhero mother. I, know. I don't know like what the focus or the concept could well, be. Well, they said like that. that. Mr. Incredible is going to be kind of like a stay-at-home dad now or yeah. something. And I was like, okay, so okay. like, is this just her turn to explore her midlife crisis or something? Like, I don't know. Yeah, like it'll be it'll be kind of interesting because the no time jump makes it seem like you know, so she's they're not really aging at all, right? Um, she, you know, uh, yeah, it's just there's so many fun workable moments too, and then of course I've always wanted to see what the Underminer's master plan was right. once he dug up from the earth, and they say that he's crucial to the story so it makes me wonder and if all the heroes were in hiding what happened to all the villains (laughs) so if there is there a story to tell about those guys too um and i disagree about jack jack i think he should stay baby because i think it would be funny to you know see what he see what he's like with all his powers now and not just you know this one little one-off pixar short story of him you know, going ballistic on the babysitter. Right. Like I said, I always thought that was funny though, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm stoked. Yeah. We also got an update on toy story four where John Laster is no longer uh, co-directing the movie. It's mm. going to be solely directed by Josh Cooley, 
who directed the Riley's First Date short for uh, Pixar, as well as he has a screen credit on Inside Out. So he's got his fingers kind of all over Pixar, uh, including like he's done like voice work, animation, editing, and all this other stuff on oh, wow. as well. So I, st- I don't need Toy Story 4, but it seems like, you know, he's a capable guy, it seems like. So I'm not against this. Yeah. I mean, John Lasseter, Toy Story is John Lasseter's baby. Yes. Like, it's, it's the first movie Pixar worked on, and uh, the Steve Jobs biography that I've read, like, over and over again, talks about how concerned this guy was about Toy Story, like, a property, and, you know, all that. So the fact that he's stepping away makes it seem like Josh has just got this thing in the bag. Yeah. Like, that's, but of course, you know, Lasseter is also, like, the head of Disney's animated animation mm-hmm. department so he, the, the man's busy yeah and you know if he's if he's stepping away from his first love i'm sure and you said josh has got his fingers everywhere mm-hmm. i like i agree with you i don't need toy story 4 like toy story 3 was such a good ending yeah absolutely um it, it's just it, it there's things about woody that I just, I don't want to know. Like, mm-hmm. I love the idea that everything he did was through the lens of what's best for Andy. And now that's gone. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't fancy exploring that, but you know, who knows? It's a billion dollar franchise. So they right. have to do something with it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm okay. So that's all the updates we have on Disney's animated front. Uh, moving over to their live action stuff. One of the things that we're going to cover that was not actually officially announced or revealed there. Uh, were some uh, Lion King casting news. Uh, Omega Underground revealed that uh, their sources told them that Hugh Jackman was cast as Scar uh, because he posted a picture the day before the live action panel of him at Disney World with all caps partners. So they have not officially confirmed that yet, but that is something that is out there and a rumor. And uh, then the rap also reported that John Oliver joined as Zazu. So, uh, what do you think of both of these? Well, Jackman just being a part of this is got to be the coolest thing I've heard. Well, no, 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 no. D- Move getting uh, Donald Glover as Simba mm-hmm. and getting uh, Mufasa back. James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. I cannot believe that I blew that. <laughs> yeah, that that was great. And then we don't have a confirmation on Beyonce yet. Not yet. I know she's busy with twins and all that uh we have billy eichner and seth rogan yes. and Timon and pumbaa um these, these are the perfect cap especially and then oliver too um i'm a huge fan of his satire and his you know long-form comedy pieces and like you know this indignant british humor that he plays off like with charming like uh-huh. a, in a charming way a perfect fit for zazu but like what do you think think jackman's ready to be the be the villain Oh, yeah. I mean, it's cool that he's training his Wolverine claws for some lion claws. Yeah. Uh, I like that he's coming back into the Disney family. And even though I know a lot of people would have liked Jeremy Irons to reprise his role as Scar, like James Earl Jones is reprising mm-hmm. his role as Mufasa, um, Jackman wasn't even on my radar to consider for Scar or really anybody for this movie, I guess. And the only other option I considered was there's this great dramatic reading of Lion King that Ben Mendelsohn did. Ooh. And he sounds perfect for scar yeah and i was like he just did rogue one mm-hmm. it's got to be him why else would he do this it's not it's, just, it's too perfect uh yeah. apparently it doesn't look like it's gonna be the case if this rumor is true but hugh jackman uh not only i think can he bring the voice to scar but scar also you know be, be prepared 
great song number in Lion King, and they're going to, I believe, incorporate all those songs into this live-action version. He is a very, you know, he started in Broadway. He's done a bunch of musicals. Yeah. So he's definitely not uh, afraid to sing and has the ability to do so. So that sounds cool. I don't I don't think I've seen the John Oliver show ever. Oh, you're missing so, out. So uh, I, th- I think I've heard his voice and he sounds like Zazu, I guess. Yeah, have you so, seen Community? Uh, no, I've not. Oh, actually. you haven't even seen him there. Okay, that's where probably most people are going to be familiar with him. But yeah, he's he is... He's 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 got the the British accent, the most British accent you've ever heard. But he's also self-deprecating, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah, he's. I think I think he'll do well. Yeah. So. Uh, One more thing, though. Yeah. We don't have Rafiki yet, do we? We do not. Oh, that that's gonna be the one I'm gonna watch for. Do you know who voiced him in the original movie? I don't. All for right now, all I can think of is Morgan Freeman. Rafiki. As Rafiki. I feel like that no. would be. Uh, I don't think that's who voiced him originally, but I'm thinking like if they're still looking for Rafiki, that you get Morgan Freeman. Robert uh, Gilameu. I'm not even pronouncing that right. Okay. So yeah, uh, I don't know who's gonna play this role either, but uh, yeah, if if I do suggest somebody, yeah, that's who I would uh, suggest. That awesome. I think Morgan Freeman. Uh, I mean, he's Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. He can make anything sound great. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that'd be a great choice. So uh, moving on to Disney's live action Aladdin movie. Uh, After a THR report said that this movie was in trouble with casting two days or three days later, Disney confirmed uh, that's not the case because uh, they announced that newcomer Mina uh, Masood will play Aladdin in Guy Ritchie's live action take along with Power Rangers Naomi Scott's joining as Jasmine. They also confirmed Will Smith as the genie. Mm-hmm. So we've got our three big pieces still waiting on Jafar. But what do you think this cast? Uh, phenomenal. Um, well, you know what? I shouldn't say phenomenal. Naomi Scott is going to be great. She yes. was fantastic in Power Rangers. And this is only going to launch her career higher. And maybe it ends up drawing more people to a Power Rangers sequel too. You know, best Let's case scenario. So. It's a good uh, movie. Uh, but uh, Mena Masood, not familiar with him at all. Uh, he's I know he's going to be in John Krasinski's Jack, Jack Ryan, Ryan yep. series later this fall. I think so. Winter. But, you know, his career looks like his career is going to be on an upward trajectory mm-hmm. now. Um, Will Smith is genie. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think you need to get, um, as Jafar, the guy from Iron Man 3. Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley Ooh, is Jafar. Okay. I cannot believe I forgot his name. But yeah, I there, think he there was would a be rumor good. a while ago that Guy Ritchie wanted Tom Hardy to play Jafar. Oh, oh, well, I don't know if I could see that. Yeah, that's 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 getting into some territory that I don't think they want to go down. Right. Yeah. With, uh, <laughs> you know, I I think Ben Kingsley. I think Ben Kingsley did uh, Gandhi really well in the movie. He got an Oscar for that. Right. So yeah, let I like that choice a lot. Cool. And he's yeah he. Did Iron Man three? He did uh, Jungle Book, so yeah, right. He's yeah, he's in mm-hmm. Jungle Book, so mm-hmm. he's already in Disney Family. So you never, you never know. Prince of Persia too with Jake Gyllenhaal. That he is underrated in that movie. And that I think movie is it. underrated, absolutely. But well, what do you think? Yeah, uh, I I'm a big fan of Naomi Scott. After seeing Power Rangers, I thought she was great in it. Uh, I have no connection to Mina Mansu's, yeah. so that's a wash for mm-hmm. me. But the fact that they got an unknown guy who I assume can dance and sing and act very well. That's that's good. Yeah. I like that. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we've talked about Will Smith as a genie before. He's charismatic. 
he can sing, he can perform, he has all the charm. So that seems like a perfect fit for me. Uh, yeah, I, I'm interested to see what the rest of this cast looks like. Any any worries about Guy Ritchie yet? I mean, I know we we talked about it last time around with, uh, uh, you know, the Sword in the Stone. Right. I mean, kind kind of, but I also see elements of that movie that be like, okay, I can see where this portion of the movie could translate to Aladdin. Sure. And under Disney's, you know, oversight <laughs> yes. tutelage, I think. Uh, it'll it'll work itself out. All right, cool. So moving on to some other of uh, Disney's kind of their bigger their big franchise the right now. Poles. Star Wars is one of those, <laughs> and uh, we got not a new trailer for the Last Jedi because they're still holding out on us. Even though John Boyega is begging Ryan Johnson on Twitter to release it, <laughs> and I am right there with you, John. But they did release at D twenty three a behind the scenes reel for the Last Jedi. Didn't excite me too much personally, but what did you think of it, Josh? Oh, this is, I thought this was just as good as a trailer. Whoa. I love these things. These things dig into my heart the way I have not been touched since the November um, episode seven trailer. Okay. Because it's, it's watching all these people in an industry that I, that I think, you know, the world of working with care about a movie that you, that you love and you see them put all this effort into it. And I just think it's so cool. Um, you know, it, it was it hurt me, but also warmed my heart to see Carrie on set with Oscar Isaac and Mark Hamill laughing and having fun and, you know, goofing off around the cameras and kind of just being herself. But then there's also just, looking at when I think about the prequel trilogy and then I watch them working tirelessly on fixing those problems and working around all of that. Like you saw them working with uh, what looked like those little Arctic puffin penguins, you know, that we talked about that are probably going to be Luke's friend on Uh the Island. Like, you know, those are, those are physical objects, animated robots that were blinking and looking up at the camera, which were so sweet. Um, and then just uh, watching, you know, uh, them collaborate on something that means so much to me. Uh, it was it was really cool. We got to see a lot of a lot of behind the scenes of shots that are going to happen in the movie, and um, watching the actors choreograph lightsaber fights and things like that like that's exciting mm-hmm. i love that I mean, nothing did it for you was there anything that you saw that was just like oh wow that looks really cool the part that interested me the most i agree like it's cool to see the behind the scenes stuff but that's not driving me to the theater uh and yeah it's cool to see some of the shots that are going to be at different angles or kind of see how okay oh, oh so they're actually shooting this in the water for this mm-hmm. shot or they're actually uh, really down in the trenches on crate for this to oh, get that one yeah. shot which uh, that was that was a shot that really caught my eye because that was cool mm-hmm. but the parts that really stood out to me were the choreography portions where you show kylo battling two people and then they cut to ray battling three people yeah and defending all three of them off with just her one lightsaber, just without really, it doesn't seem like she put much effort into it, but yeah. I'm guessing she, I'm guessing she really is. So I don't know who maybe Kylo is in that scene is battling both Luke and Ray. That would seem a little overpowered mm-hmm. for Kylo in my mm-hmm. opinion, but he's also pretty powerful. It seems like, and then the Ray fights, maybe it's a Knights of Ren yeah, battle. Yeah. So I, those are the parts that interested me the most because it's like, okay, cool. Like I can, 
I'll be able to recognize you know, in the movie. Like, oh, okay. So this is this is where mm-hmm. that scene played into. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. Other than that, there's a shot of like uh, Mark Hamill actually grabbing the saber from Daisy Ridley, which yeah. is like, okay, cool. So he's actually going to grab it, or at least touch it, I guess, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe he's considering right. being the Jedi again and training another Jedi. And who knows? I, I those were the portions that were like, okay. Yeah, and cool. then, you know, just listening to, like, Kelly Marie Tran um, on there, you know, talking about her time on set. And, like, you know, she's one of the characters that I'm really excited to meet uh, come the movie. And there's just, uh, there's it's, it's just cool to see how, this is one thing where it's okay to see the sausage get made, I guess. Right. I'm sure there's a lot of swearing and people yelling at each other, right. you know, outside of the aspirational music and, you know, smiles for the camera. It's, it's hard work, but... Uh, it's it's really cool. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm so glad I got to see another one of those. Yeah, so uh, hopefully we'll get a new trailer in the next couple of months, probably. But that was really the only Star Wars thing we got because they didn't mention Han Solo really at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, no surprise there, even though maybe a little disappointing in some. But the, the panel, the live-action panel ended on Saturday with Marvel. Pulled out all the stops, brought up basically the entire cast for Infinity War. And... After that panel ended, they went back out to the kind of just the stage area, the walking area, the booths and stuff, and revealed and confirmed that the Black Order are going to be in Avengers Infinity War. In this version, they are going to be Thanos' children, uh, which is cool because that's like another layer to Gamora and Nebula, and they're kind of very uh, you know, back and forth relationship in Guardians 2, where they kind of talk about how we have to battle each other like every single day, so the fact that the Black Order's in is cool because it adds more villains for the heroes to fight. So it's not, all right, it's 60 against one. It's now like 60 against like five, uh, which evens the odds a little bit more. Sure. But yeah, I think they all looked cool. I want to know who is voicing each of these characters yeah. because maybe that's where like Peter Dinklage's role comes into play or maybe they have some other big secret voice actors ready to uh, take up each of these characters. Um, who is, do you know who the big giant like Triceratops dude is? Yeah, that is uh, Cole Obsidian. In the comics, he's known as Black Dwarf, but mm. they changed the name probably for obvious reasons, I guess. Yes. Uh, so it's probably, man, okay, so my gut instinct was like Peter Dinklage plays him. That's possible. That would be epic. It would be. And like, yeah, he's bigger than Hulk. He's like described basically as like Thanos's like best like fighter, like pound for pound, I guess, oh, technically, because he is just so, I mean, he's towering over Thanos and that's, I, I'm i guessing like accurate depictions of how big and small each of them are in comparison to one another. Maybe they're a little bigger in the actual movie. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he, Cole Obsidian looked absolutely ginormous and yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I was kind of thrown off though by was if that's relative to the size, Thanos is much more humanoid than I was ever imagining. Right. I think, I think he's smaller for the display purposes. Okay. But sure. in terms of the actual movie in scale. Yeah. I think he'll still be, you know, a comparative, you know, height and stuff to like, I don't think he'll quite be as tall or bulky as Hulk. He'll be probably a little smaller, but then, you know, you know, black dwarf who's going to be dwarfing over sure. uh, Hulk, basically. Gotcha. So, uh, the rest of the lineup was uh, Proxima Midnight. She is a staff that uh, can like harness energy from the sun oh, and snap. is like unbreakable. And then her husband uh, Corvus Glaive, uh, like the mastermind of the group, he also has a double-edged sa- uh, staff. 
cut through anything, including like, you know, vibranium. Uh, and as long as that staff is intact, he is basically impossible to kill. So uh, oh <laughs> makes gosh. it pretty difficult uh, for that guy. And then there's also Ebony Maw, who is like the master manipulator of the group. And he can basically persuade anybody to do as he wishes. So uh, along hmm. with those guys, we know Loki's in there as well. So you got these four, Loki, Thanos. That's a, that's a sinister six, if I may. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh, my gosh. But oh, this this adds a whole new level to Infinity War. It's yes. going to be so cool to watch play out. And if that was not enough, they revealed this after revealing the first trailer for Infinity War, which us mere mortals who are not at D23 were not able to witness. Hmm. But thankfully, there's no like embargo on saying what was in the footage or anything. So uh, tons of various sites and people who saw it all gave their breakdowns of what happened. And to sum it all up, I want to die because I can't <laughs> oh. see it yet. <laughs> and I'm going to have to wait so long. And it is killing me inside because it just sounds so epic with all these heroes finally together we see you i mean i didn't see they saw Mm -hmm. thor meeting the guardians you see doctor strange and star lord working together you see tony and spider-man in space you see uh captain america with a beard you see black panther fighting with wakandans in wakanda you see uh black widow she's blonde for whatever reason spider-man uh spoiler alert for spider-man homecoming has his he's wearing his suit from the end of that movie, yeah. uh, not the one that the one that he he rejects. Right, so, the Ultimate Spider-Man. However, suit. Yeah. I mean, he's gonna turn that around and accept that. I mean, there's just so many cool sounding stuff in there. Plus, it ends with Thanos hurling a moon at the Avengers. Oh, jeez, I'm I I cannot handle it. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I passed up on the description just before we started to tape mm-hmm. and just go going line by line off of what was seen just sounds like an emotional roller coaster. Right. Um, from the, the Thor like ends up smashing into the windshield of uh, the guardian ship. Yeah. And there's like instant comedy that I can see playing out, you know, in so many ways, like in Avengers or age of Ultron mm-hmm. or all the Thor movies and, uh, you know, thinking of like what would what is Tony Stark gonna think of Peter Quill and everybody else? You oh, know, yeah. if if Spider Man like just barely inches past the charm level on him, what's the tolerance gonna be on that <laughs> band of misfits? And oh my goodness, well, you know, it just sounds so epic. It does. What the the possible the possibilities here are gonna be insane. Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I cannot, I'm visualizing it in my head of what is happening, but I know for a fact that mm-hmm. what I am picturing is no way close to as epic and magnificent as it is, yeah. as the footage actually is. Because people are saying like the scope is incredible, just like the sheer magnitude of what is being shown on screen. Plus like it looks like a lot of it's taking place off earth, which makes sense because why would, you know, the <laughs> Avengers be like, okay, Thanos, Bring it on. Right. Like, just destroy our world too. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like really it's the Guardians and Thor who kind of figure out this is all not, something's going wrong in the mm-hmm. galaxy, which makes sense because that's kind of been Thor's quest since the end of Age of Ultron. And to have them, have him meet the Guardians first off, I think it's great. Hopefully it's the post credit scene on Thor Ragnarok so we can see it at the latest November 3rd. Yeah. Or I guess November 
second, I think, mm-hmm. is opening night, which I will, <laughs> I will be seeing it for sure. Uh, hopefully, this trailer drops beforehand because, or at least some version of it. Because I have to wait, you know, from you know August, September, October, you know, four months to see this sucker. Yeah. I I don't know how I'm gonna I don't know how I'm gonna do it. Uh, if it is as epic as it sounds, and it sounds in unbelievably cool, like yes. I, I'm like I'm I'm pitching I'm in, I'm imagining some kind of like global battle uh-huh. where you know the the split up Avengers are he's like fighting their own war here and then the war you know in space and like uh, it just it seems incredible mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah um best case scenario we get it in november yeah worst case scenario not until black panther comes uh, yeah. around oh it'll definitely be out before black panther because otherwise at that point you have three months till the movie comes out right <laughs> they're not i yes. mean personally it would drive me insane to not see anything, but I would love to go in the movie without seeing a trailer and just let everything happen on the screen mm-hmm. for the first time. But uh, I know that I won't be able to stop watching this trailer whenever it drops because just as a major MCU fan, the fact that it sounds like they're actually delivering on this long, sprawling goal of theirs and making Thanos a villain that it's like worth the wait, uh, delivering on the magnitude and making it a seamless uh, just conglomerate of superheroes <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you do that with i mean it just it seems like such an impossible task but to know that they're actually pulling it off based on the trailer the yeah. movie could be a whole different you know discussion it could be a disaster uh but it, it sounds just too good to be true and the fact that it's like it's an actual reality is uh insane like this sounds like something i would read on like reddit as like a Oh, I I saw the trailer early. Here's yes. here's the description of it. Right. You're like, wow, that sounds epic. But there's no way that's the trailer. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh no, this is actually the trailer. I I'm I'm going to die of oh, just man. excitement. <laughs> and then imagine what the movie's gonna do too. You know, I know it's oh man, like I need the movie to be like six hours long <sighs> because well, it's in two parts. So well, I mean, yeah, technically, I mean technically not anymore, but. Yeah, I mean, all together, it'll be probably like a five-hour epic, but yeah, man, I cannot wait for uh, for May 4th to roll around. And spoiler alert for when we do our most anticipated 2018, Infinity War will be my clear number one, yeah. no questions asked. So, uh, ho- yeah, I hopefully we don't have to wait too much longer to see this trailer uh, because when it drops, we're going to talk about it on the podcast for like 45 minutes because mm-hmm. I'm just going to want to break down every single there will be seconds yeah, frame of every, by frame like, do you see his boots here he, he moved his boots <laughs> and they're right next to star lord's boots so the, that's cool the implications are, are just endless, so yeah. vast so yeah oh my gosh uh that's gonna be a great day on the pod i'm just gonna let you guys know that right up top so uh, hopefully this was a great one as well we're skipping the big question this week because of uh time reasons and you know, our whole d23 recap i'm going to give uh time to the avengers trailer uh, to the Star Wars reel, to uh, War of the Planet Apes review, and everything else. Mm-hmm. So uh, hopefully that's okay. We'll try to get one in next week uh, after we review Dunkirk. Yes, my, my long-awaited movie. Uh, it's Christopher Nolan's. He's he's back. Yeah. And from the tweet reviews that I've seen um, from directors, you know, heaping praise. Uh, on it, it sounds like he's created, you know, the best war movie of all time. 
or at least since Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it looks gorgeous. It look he the, the 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 love and care that I was talking about that was going into Star Wars. It looked like one of my favorite directors of all time has done this with his movie, mm-hmm. and um, I'm I'm just so excited to go experience it in IMAX and um, see what the man's got in store for us. The pioneer of cinema for the 21st <laughs> century has, you know, pulled out all the stops and uh, I'm so stoked to go experience it next week. Yes. Uh, I, I am, I'm very excited to see this movie as well uh, because yeah, it's Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. He's yet to fail me. He has not, he has not made a bad movie. So there's no reason for me not to be confident in his ability. I've seen some people say it's his best movie. If that's the case, uh, wow! Yeah. <laughs> that's all I got to say. Uh, that'll be my entire review next week. If it's if it is his best movie, indeed, because uh, it'll be pretty tough to top mm-hmm. Dark Knight in my mind. Because that, that is uh, Dark Knight, Inception, uh, Prestige. Like they're they're up there. There's, yeah. there's some pretty great movies. Even his worst one, Memento, is still just like probably an Oscar movie. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, can... Memento. Yeah, yeah. To say that's his like his worst movie is like. You know, most directors be like, "Oh, I wish that was my best movie." Exactly. <laughs> and I, I don't know if I agree. That's his worst movie. I only seen like one time. It was a while ago. But uh, yeah, whether it's the the fact that it has minimal dialogue and it's just going to be a thrill ride, kind of for like an hour forty five, sounds like a great time. Uh, we may be able to squeeze Colton in for to join us on the review next week I as a, so. the major Nolanite, the biggest one I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll have to see if scheduling works for that, but. Uh, if not, it'll just be us two, and we will be sure to uh, go deep on uh, Chris Nolan's latest. But that's all we got for this week. So if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, I cannot beg you guys enough. Please head to iTunes. Give us a review. Five stars, hopefully, but be honest. Leave us comments on what we can do uh, better, what you like that we do. Maybe suggest a new segment we should do or, you know, say stop doing the big question or <laughs> whatever <laughs> just give us your opinions because we want to know why you guys listen to us and what we can do to make sure you continue to listen uh for the future so if you do that between now and the end of summer we are trying to get a poster package of summer movies to then share with you guys um so if you guys do that between now and like the end of august early september you'll be qualified to enter there uh, but that's all we got. Please go go to the review during our time. We be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything we covered by us at friends and film. We just do updates on the podcast, movie news and more. You can follow me personally on Twitter at coops underscore hoops. And you can follow me, Josh at just Joshua Ryan. Thanks again for tuning in to the friends of film podcast, Josh. Thanks for stopping by everyone. And be sure to tune in next week for our review of Dunkirk. <laughs>